Hey everyone and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my book-loving wife, Liberty, as always. We're a married couple with different hobbies and we try to force them upon each other by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. Today is the book episode, so prepare your comfy clothes because it's a little slower than the quick sports episode we had last week. We'll see. There is more news than normal, so maybe you're right. Penguin Random House has announced a new book by Lauren Graham. She's releasing her fourth book, Have I Told You This Already, this fall. It's a collection of essays about her, quote, surprising anecdotes, sage advice, and laugh out loud observations. That's interesting. I see your side notes and I'm kind of confused as to why you didn't talk about them, but the mom from Gilmore Girls is who she is. Yes. Well, most people know who she is, but I knew you wouldn't, so that's why I wrote that for you, so you would know who she is. And you also wrote Fall, September 20th, Yes, when the actual book is being released. So It's available for pre-order now as well. That's exciting. I think the last thing she had written came out in 2018, so a lot of people are looking forward to this one. Does she write like satire style books, or is it like... It's like stories about her life, and she's funny in the book. So it's more humor than anything. Got it. That's kind of what I figured it would be, considering her personality, but... Or, like, humor slash memoir sort of thing. Okay. The life of former Beatles drummer Ringo Starr is being covered in a new comic book as part of Tidal Wave Comics' Orbit series, which celebrates public figures who have impacted the world. The 22-page book will detail how Starr, quote, overcame life-threatening illnesses during his childhood to how he became one of the world's best drummers of all time. And I wrote that John Lennon would disagree with this synopsis. That was the whole conversation for last night. You're like, don't you know about this? And I'm like, no, no, I do not. Basically, Lennon said that Star isn't even the best drummer in the Beatles, let alone the entire world. Yeah. So, the book is written by David Cromarty. And illustrated by Victor Mora and is available in both print and digital formats when it's released on January 12th. So this upcoming week. The day before this episode comes up. And because I want to make everyone sad. A Golden Girls book is set to be published on Betty White's 100th birthday, which is January 17th. You don't say. I feel like everybody knows that now just because of the fact that like the internet has just crammed it down your throat. Well, she almost made it to 100. Yeah. It's really sad when we were in the bookstore the other day. We saw, was it a Time magazine that was celebrating her 100th birthday or whatever? There were a couple of magazines that were like, Betty White turns 100, and you're like, oh, no, she didn't. She didn't quite make that. But I've seen a lot of people go, she has the best comedic timing because it was too late for these magazines to reprint the cover. Yeah. And so, like, I don't know, people were talking about her comedic timing for dying before her birthday. The Binge Watcher's Guide to the Golden Girls, an unofficial companion, like I said, is set to release on January 17th. The author, Marissa DeAngelis, who is a huge Golden Girls fan herself, said the book is meant to be a companion as viewers watch the show, giving them a quick recap of each episode and where it fits in the series. It also includes favorite quotes, notable goofs and inconsistencies, and some behind-the-scenes drama. For anyone who might not know, the sitcom is about four older women who live together in Miami, Florida. It's a comedy, but the characters sometimes face serious issues and hardships. I think one of the most notable ones that they've had is discussions about people who are gay. And like for its time, it was really progressive because 
I want to say it was coming out during the AIDS epidemic and talking about how it's not their fault and it was just really for its time way ahead. So it's like kind of like to the level of like Mr. Rogers with the African-American cop sharing a pool when it was illegal in a lot of states at that point in time as kind of a ha-ha. Yeah. Nearly 40 years after it first aired, it remains one of the most popular shows in syndication and it's available to view on multiple streaming services. I didn't realize that it was, I knew it was popular. I didn't realize it was as popular and I think it probably has picked up a lot of growth because of who Betty White has been lately, like in the latter years of her life. But also there was this conversation in the article with the person who actually wrote the book about how as she was growing up, it wasn't cool to watch the Golden Girls. But when she finally opened up and talked to her friends about the show, they all had seen it. Yeah. And so I think that might be why you had that perspective. A rare Toni Morrison short story is being published as a book. She was a novelist and celebrated for many of her works, but she didn't confine herself to just one type of writing. She also completed plays, poems, essays, and short stories. Coming out on February 1st is one of those short stories, and I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly and I will fail, so just be prepared for that. Recitatif was written in the early 1980s and follows two women from childhood to adulthood. The story tells of a series of encounters between Roberta and Twyla, one of whom is black, the other white, although the reader is left to guess which one is which. Zadie Smith, who is doing well as an author nowadays, has contributed an introduction to the book. I was going to say, you can't really guess because I feel like both names are acceptable for either race. Right. Like, I know Roberta's that are of many different ethnicities, and I know couple Twilas, which is kind of weird, but like, again, different races. Well, and I think the whole point, according to what I was reading in this and stuff that Zadie Smith had said to the person who wrote the article, that she spent the whole time reading this, trying to figure out who was who. Yeah. And she got to the end and sort of got to the point where she was questioning, well, why would that matter? And sort of questioning more of why she was reading the book the way she was versus trying to analyze the book to figure out who was whom, which I thought is a testament to the writer. So The writer and her creativity, like crazy creativity. And this had come out before with another book or something else she had written, but that book stopped being published in the 80s, I want to say. And so this is just sort of Making it more readily available. Gotcha. It's kind of neat, though. Yeah. And I guess to discuss people behaving badly, because that even happens in the book world. What? I know. We're shocked. I thought it was just athletes who behave badly. Oof. I don't think that's the case. We definitely know there's other bad people than athletes in the world. The FBI has arrested a suspect in a years-long book publishing phishing scam that targeted authors like Margaret Atwood and Ethan Hawke. A mysterious scammer was attempting to steal hundreds of book manuscripts. Italian national Filippo Bernardini was arrested on Wednesday, January 5th, when he landed at John F. Kennedy International Airport. He was charged with wire fraud and aggravated identity theft. The indictment alleges that Bernardini impersonated, quote, literary talent agencies, publishing houses, literary scouts, and others. 
by using fraudulent email accounts to scam unwitting authors out of their unpublished manuscripts. Before this had happened, he was working as a rights coordinator for Simon & Schuster UK, and so that's how he had the access to try to do this. Manuscripts that were successfully stolen in the phishing scheme never made it to the black market, and the indictment doesn't detail what the suspected scammer did with the unpublished material. So it's like, you're going to get into a lot of trouble for not a lot of reward. I think he was hedging a bet that he would have gotten a large reward. It's just never got around to doing it. And the reality is, who are you going to sell it to? Like, Well, first of all, the books are going to come out at some point anyways. And like, were you just trying to wait it out so that... If one of them got popular, like, I've got the original manuscript... Well, I was thinking more along the lines of you're waiting for everyone to figure out it was a scam and then cool off before you try to sell it. But at that point, the book's already going to be published. Right. So it was a little weird. Though, of course, I believe he's claiming he didn't do it. So Yeah, the email that logged your keystrokes. Definitely not what the FBI would have before they came after you for something like that. I mean, especially if you had to be flown in. Like, they know it's you. Yeah. No one's wasting their money on a possibility. And this week I did a mixture of tags. So I just picked and chose different questions from a bunch of different tags around the book side of the internet. The new year mix tag? Sure. All right. Question number one is to name a book that is too sweet. I don't think I've read any sweet books. I'll be honest. That's like, intentional. And, and I don't know that it's something that I would really be interested in in the first place so uh, obviously I don't have an answer for this question but like I don't think there's a sweet book that I've really read and so like well that was on purpose because I know what type of things you like yeah so I was never going to give you like a sickly sweet romance and be like don't you love it like don't get me wrong there's been like parts of the books that I'm like oh that was sweet but like I've never been like oh yeah this book is sweet yeah other than it's like, this is a really good book, and this book is so sweet, which is a little different than that. Yes. Yeah. I chose a book that I haven't thought about in a really long time because what I did differently this time when trying to answer these questions is I browsed through my Goodreads history and not my bookshelves. So my answer to this one is What's Left of Me by Amanda Maxlin. It's about a girl who has cancer and how she deals with it, as well as a guy who's by her side while that's happening. It's just way too sweet, like what we call sicklet, and it was gross. I didn't like it. I think I rated it one star. I haven't done that yet, so I guess I've had some good books. Um, like I think the lowest I've given is like a three so far. I think that's mostly because you have someone choosing your books for you. At this point. Yeah. So second question is to name a book that you only picked up once and never will again. And that one goes to a very easy one. And even you said it was probably going to be my guess. But Turtles All the Way Down by John Green. And John Green, I love everything you do. You're a great human being. This book was just not for me. You know, here's the thing. People don't have to get upset about things you dislike when it comes to books. Yeah. Not everyone has the same taste in music. Not everyone has the same taste in movies. So, of course, not everyone has the same taste in books. That's just how it is. I That was one of the favorite books that I read the year that I read it. It's still one of my favorite books of all time. Low on the list, but it's still on the list. So, like, I'm not mad that you didn't like this book. I'm not saying that you would be mad. I'm, like, kind of just covering my bases, I feel like, with all of our listeners. Like, John Green's books, like... 
I don't know. They're they're not written for somebody like me, I feel like, sometimes. Like, I feel like we've seen one of the movies that he made a book based off of, and, like, that was good. I really enjoyed it. But at the same time, when it comes to the books, I haven't had a fair share at all of them yet. I think this was actually my first green book that I read, so in fairness, I feel kind of bad about it. But at the same time, I don't. For mine, I said that instead of saying the same ones that I always seem to whine about having read, I picked something different, and it was a long time ago. I think it was also in 2016. It's called Sweet Unrest by Lisa Maxwell, and it's about a girl whose move to New Orleans puts her in the center of magic and voodoo, and, like, just, it was more, like, historical fiction than, like, fantasy or something like that, and I don't like historical fiction, so I think I rated that one one star as well. The next question is to name a popular book that spreads like a virus. So originally I was going to say Harry Potter, but, like, it's already spread and continues to spread, slower now than it did before but like i feel like in a couple years it's not gonna be taboo well no i feel like it'll be even worse on that front i feel like you're gonna have less people reading it for the first time right but i put the hunger games because that's kind of the other one that's really like just everywhere yeah and i don't mean it in like a bad way i just feel like it's it's just it's spread real quick yeah i said anything sarah J. moss but I feel like that's a really easy answer. So instead, I said Emily Henry is an author whose work gets pretty hyped. She's written Beach Read, People We Meet on Vacation, Book Lovers, and a bunch of other ones that have gotten a lot of hype. Book Lovers technically doesn't come out until this year at some point, And it's already gotten so much hype from the book community because it's called Book Lovers. It's about people oh, who yeah. work in the publishing industry. And so, like... Of course, we're into that, you know? I was going to say, I've seen that one come up on BookTube at least a dozen or two times already, so it's just not a shock to me that that's something people are excited about. The next question is to name a book that you reread often. So uh, there's only been a few books in my lifetime that I've reread. Obviously, the first three Harry Potter books I've reread more than once. and But I put The Old Guard because it's one that like I would like to continue to reread often. Yeah. Like, I enjoy that series, and so in turn, like... That's something that I could see myself rereading often. Yeah. I said that there are a handful of books that I enjoy rereading, and they're all, like, in rotation for right. me. I said The Hunger Games, The Host, and Harry Potter, usually. It's a question of whether I'm going to end up rereading those this year or not, but it's been in rotation for very many years. Like, I kind of understand the argument to not reread it, but at the same time, like... If it's one of your favorite series, and this is the the hill I die on, I guess, to an extent, don't go buy new copies of it. Don't support her any further than you already have. But, like, if you enjoy the book series, you should still be able to read it in peace. I mean, there's... it shouldn't be an uprising. There's a discussion about visibility of your reread versus reading it and not sharing about it, which is its whole thing. And then there are diehard people who say... You shouldn't even reread it because that's showing the people around you that you don't care about trans people, which isn't true. But just in general, I'm thinking it might not be a yearly reread like it has been, partially because of how many times I've read the series and partially because of what's happening with J.K. Rowling. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. The next question is to name a book that kept you up all night. So when we were dating long distance, you got me into the Divergent series. And as a whole, the, like that book, 
Well, let's add a couple of things to it. I was a night owl at that point in time, so staying up reading a book was not that complicated for me. Right. I've since become very much a morning person, as you know, and in turn, like, Divergent kept me up at night. Like, there were times where, like, I could have probably fallen asleep, but instead I was like, yeah, I'm just going to read a couple more chapters. Yeah. So I would say Divergent was the book that did that for me. For me... One that stands out in my mind was when I read The Raven Boys by Maggie Steve Otter. I had learned something about one of the main characters at like two in the morning. So I was already staying up to read this book. <laughs> but then I refused to sleep after that until I had answers. So that's one that really stuck out with me. Like it was the kind of staying up late, reading way past your bedtime where like your eyes hurt so much and they're so bloodshot, but you want to keep reading. So you're not going to stop. I've had my fair share of experiences of trying to drag you to bed while you're reading a book. So, like, I I can see this being a regular occurrence to you in some instances. It happened way more when I was younger, but that's one that happened as an adult, knowing I had work the next day. And, like, there are definitely consequences to my actions, but then I still did the actions, so... It clearly didn't stop you from doing the thing. Right. Name a book that failed to leave an impression on your memory. So far, I haven't had one that's really done that to me. Like, I remember most of the things about the books I feel like part of that's what you're reading more than anything. You read a lot of action and a lot of plot-driven stories, so there's going to be more to remember than if you read, like, contemporary or romance. Like, don't get me wrong. I probably forgot a little bit of something from everything, but, like... Like, the whole book, the plot, the characters, I just haven't really gotten to that point. I haven't found a book that's really done that to me yet. Right. For me, I said Chasing Fireflies by Chloe Fowler. Like I said, I went to Goodreads to browse and figure out my answers for these. And as I was scrolling through them, I had to look at the synopsis to figure out what this book was about. Which is really bad because I read this book in early October. Yeah. And so, like, that kind of speaks volume. (laughs) It it 100% does. But in fairness, you read a crap ton of books. So, like... There's that. There's also the fact that this was right in the middle of several medical tests that I had to have for diagnosis of things. And so... It might have been, like, I read the book, but I didn't really read the book, you know? Yeah. You read it, but you didn't comprehend it. But I originally rated this 2.5 stars. You know, who knows? I I know now that this is about a guy and a girl from different sides of the tracks and, like, their relationship and how that started. But at the same time, like, the only image I can still picture from reading this was about his trailer and her going to visit it that one time. And that's all I remember. So not a good sign. Definitely not. Definitely not. The next question is to name a book that lacks food for thought. So continuing down the Divergent Trilogy train, I will leave Allegiant here at the end of this discussion. because I think a lot of people would agree with you on that one. Yeah, like, I I don't know. It just seemed like it wasn't really thought through all the way. Of the same caliber as the other books. Right. And that was kind of disappointing because I was like, trilogies are supposed to end strong and nothing came of it. I mean, they're supposed to, but I know that with most end of series it's a mixed bag yeah so for this one i said on the rocks by cat adams in this one a girl who owns a taco truck gets together with a guy who runs the fanciest restaurant in town and nothing really happens she's like this tough and edgy girl and he's like this gentleman with a lot of money so they're a bit of an odd couple but this book just had like way too much sex and i'm also pretty sure that the author has no idea how male anatomy works this is the book that you and I had several conversations yes. yeah, 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 about, yeah. like, it, does this happen? And you're like, no. no. 
I'm like, oh, okay. From personal experiences, no, that is not a thing that happens. It was it was a weird book. And like at random too, like you would just randomly ask me questions about stupid things. And I'm like, no, that's not how that works. And you can clearly tell that she just doesn't understand. And like what's so frustrating about that as a female reader is I've read a ton of books where the male author obviously has no idea how oh, female anatomy works right. or the feminine brain works and like just doesn't get it. And now you have the opposite. And it's like, come on. I know you've read books where you're like, that's not how that works. Right. So like you have to know that like you can't be this bad at understanding male anatomy. Right. And like especially when it matters to the genre that you're in, like in romance, there's a lot that has to do with male anatomy. So you would hope that the author knows what they're talking about. At least the littlest bit. Like, make an effort to, like, learn. Well, and, like, the things that I'm thinking of in particular, I won't say because it's kind of R-rated, but, like, they had no bearing on the actual story. Right. And so it's like, really? Not only is it wrong, but it doesn't even matter. Just don't have it in the story. Right. So that one lacked substance for me. The next question is to name a book that surprised you. It could be good. It could be bad. Just it surprised you. So I went with a good surprise because like it's a small book, but I went with Every Heart Adoree by Seanan McGuire, which like it was good. Yep. It was small and I didn't expect like as much stuff to happen in it, but it was good. Like yeah. it kept me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Small book. Very easy read. And in turn, like, good characters, good plot. It just seemed great. For my answer, I picked The Initial Insult by Mindy McGinnis. It's a YA mystery, so it could have really gone either way for me. I either love them or hate them. But I loved all the Edgar Allan Poe references and the way that the author wasn't afraid to take the story to that dark and horrific place. And I'm super excited to read the sequel. I think it comes out early this year. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on it. I can tell you that for sure. The penultimate question is to name a book that made you want to travel. So a lot of the things I've read have been kind of sci-fi and like crossover to that kind of stuff and like magic worlds and things. So like I don't really have too many, but honestly, like I'm a very big forest cabin person. So like whenever I read Hatchet, I'm like, man, it'd be so nice to just be out in wilderness. I don't have to be like in a survival situation, but like the way they describe being in I the forest. I wouldn't want to be in a survival situation. But like the way they describe being in the forest and like how you have all the animals around and like just the peace and quiet. And I'm like, that would be so nice and relaxing. So like that's kind of what makes me want to travel at least a little bit. For mine, I picked actually a fantasy novel, surprising enough, Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lainey Taylor. Despite the fact that it only takes place in Prague for the briefest amount of time, the beginning of the novel really just, like, takes you into that setting, and you could really picture it, and that is what made me want to go to Prague. I still want to go to Prague, but, like, the amount of time that you're in Prague for the first book is just so small. And the last question is to name a main character that you dislike. I haven't really ran into that situation. Like, there are times where I was like, Harry Potter's an idiot. Well, yeah. But, like, I didn't dislike him by any means. I'm glad you used that word rather than hate because, like, 
I would have had a much harder time trying to like just think of who I really hated because I don't really hate any of the main characters of the books that I've read. Like there are times they get frustrating, but like what main character doesn't do that? Like that's part of a character arc. So like yep. I don't know. I don't really have a particular one that I'm like this is the one. For me, I picked both Chuck and Kate from Fool Me Twice at Christmas by Camilla Isley. This is that romance that we talked about this past December, I think. I don't even remember when I read this. Where literally, if one of them had just been a grown-up and told their parents that they broke up, none of the rest of this crap would have happened. Gotcha. Like, the story just wouldn't have existed if someone had just been a grown-up for five seconds. And, like... It's the one that really went really absurd, but in a bad way. Like, I I completely enjoy absurd novels, but it has to make sense that it's absurd. And this one is just absurd for the sake of being absurd, so it was just bad. It was absurd. Like, they had broken up, and then over the week and a half that they were at home for Christmas, ended up making it all the way down the altar to try to somehow prove to their parents that they're still together. And it's like... That's dumb. Uh, no, one of you would have told your parents. Like, I can't suspend my disbelief enough to think that you'd go all the way through a wedding. Just to trick your parents. It, it's so bad. Yeah. And normally I like fake dating, but like, yikes. But that was the tag. Hooray! As for what I have been reading, it feels like I read a lot at the beginning of the week and nothing at the end of the week, but I know that's just because I haven't finished anything yet, and that's why. And I finished a lot the first couple days of the week. So I read Horror Hotel by Victoria Fulton and Faith McLaren. It's a NetGalley arc that releases on February 1st, and it's a young adult horror slash thriller I rated this one 3.75 stars, so it was good, not great. It is a group of teenage ghost hunters spending the night in a haunted L.A. hotel, and things go from there. That's interesting. Yeah. I really think they could make this into, like, a good TV show or movie, but I feel like also they could say it's played out because, like, a lot of times in that sort of movie, they go to a haunted place and then things happen and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is there's a reason they keep making them. It's because people enjoy it. Yes. And, like, one of the characters is trying to get their YouTube channel to so many subscribers, and the one that actually can see ghosts just is trying to do something that she enjoys with her friends, and then you have the other one who does a lot of the, like, tech stuff, just wants to be with her friends and play with tech, and so you have everyone having a different reason for being there, but then they all cohesively run this channel of ghost hunting stuff. And so it's kind of fun to look at. Sounds like it'd be pretty interesting. And then I read Lumberjanes Volume 8, Stone Cold by Shannon Waters. It's a 2018 release and a middle grade comic, I guess. This one I also rated 3.5 stars. It's the rating I've been giving the last few volumes. I hope it gets better, but at the same time, it's not low enough that I'm not enjoying it. I'm still having a lot of fun with these girls, so I'm still going to read it. A quick synopsis is, in the Lumberjanes comics, we follow the girls of the Roanoke cabin at Miss Quinzelleth, Thisquin, Pennyquequel, Thistle, Crumpets, Camp for Hardcore Lady Types, as they face more supernatural creatures. In this one, a creature that turns people into stone, specifically. It's kind of an interesting take. Well, and like, it's not Medusa, but Medusa's kind of in the story. Let's say it kind of sounds Medusa-y. Yeah. 
Then I read Giant Days Volume 6 by John Allison, which is a 2017 release and an adult comic following a group of friends at university in the UK. And in this volume in particular, we start the second year with them. And I also rated this comic 3.5 stars. Again, I'm really enjoying reading these, but they're not excellent, you know. They're comics, so what do you think that's missing? Is it missing just a lot I of think, plot? Or? I think part of it is just the fact that, as a whole, I don't prefer short content. I prefer longer things. My favorite books are around, like, 500, 600, 700 pages. So right, right. I prefer longer content, and that means that these are never going to get a five-star from me. Unless it's like at the very end of the series or something and we have all the other history and stuff from the previous issues. I can understand that. And then just I feel like with the Lumberjanes, the art style is deteriorating for me and that's why it's getting a lower rating. Not even like the storyline or anything like that. It's just the art style for me because they have multiple different people doing the art across all of these volumes. So it's not a consistent art style. That makes sense. That would be frustrating at a certain point. And for Giant Days, it's kind of the content of what's in the graphic novel or comic. And I'm going to let it have time to breathe and sort of see where it goes from there. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I'll mention this briefly. I have made progress on The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. I've read about 275 pages so far. So about 30 pages a day, roughly. It's a classic revenge story that I'll talk about when I actually finish it, <laughs> which will be at the end of February, for anyone wondering. It's going to be forever. Forever and ever. I'm not even a quarter of the way through this yet. That's heartbreaking. That's insane. It is a chunker. Well, he was getting paid by the line, so I'm not surprised. Yeah. And like I had mentioned before, there are definitely moments where he says something. Someone says, oh, yeah, right, or something like that. And then he restates what he just said, but expands upon it. And that is so many lines just of nothing, of the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to a classic. As for what I plan on reading next, technically I already started, almost finished the first thing. It's Leviathan Wakes by James S.A. Corey. And it's a 2011 release and book number one in the Expanse series. It's an adult sci-fi novel that I would almost call like a sci-fi slash mystery novel. In this one, we follow Jim Holden, who is the XO of an ice miner making runs from the rings of Saturn to the mining stations of the belt. When he and his crew stumble upon a derelict ship, they find themselves in possession of a secret they never wanted. A secret that someone is willing to kill for. That's an exciting story plot starting point. Well, and also, I realized very quickly that I was enjoying it, so I bought the next book. And then I asked the fandom on Tumblr, how do I read this series? Because there is a publishing order, but there's also how it fits into the story chronologically. And a lot of people told me that I need to read it in publishing order and not chronologically. And to view the stuff that you're reading out of order as far as chronology like goes. Like a flashback? As like a flashback. So now, if I want to finish the series this year, I think I have to read a total of 18 things. <laughs> Only 18 things? Uh, That's not so bad. You have a lot of weeks well, left. Well, and it's a hard sci-fi. Like, it gets into a lot of the details that a lot of sci-fi doesn't. 
And, you know, it's exactly what the story sort of deserves as far as the depth and the, the nature of how the story is. But it makes for slow reading, at least for, for me. Yeah. But it's really good. I'm enjoying it. It's just going to be a lot this year. If yeah. I if I manage to try to get through the whole series. I was going to say, year. if you try to take a stab at the whole thing, it's going to be rough. Well, on top of that, it's also been turned into a TV show. So I'm like, I want to read this now. I'm really enjoying the book. But I'm like, I have 18 things to get through before I can watch that. The way my brain works. Yeah. Even like, though I'm the reality sure. is like only a couple of those books is probably what the TV show is based on so far. Well, at least in the first couple of seasons. So yeah. I could probably get away with making it through halfway and then starting the show. But I'm like, no, you have to finish the whole thing first. Yeah. Because my brain is my brain. It is indeed. Another book I'm going to try to read this week is What I'm Looking For by Karen Gray. It's a 2020 release. Book number one in the Boston Classics series and an adult romance novel. It is one of the books from the anthology that I keep talking about. I got for cheap on Kindle last year and I'm finally getting back into reading them. I stopped at one point because it was a lot. You needed a break from the crazy. But I'm hoping to finish that this year. Yeah. In this one, a bartender and a woman working in finance hit it off at a bar that she often feels like she has to go to after work with her co-workers because where she works is like the good old boys club and that in order to fit in, she has to hang out with them at this bar after work. And he's supposed to help her fit in with the bros and she's supposed to help him in some other capacity. But the one that I am probably the most excited to read this week because I didn't think I would get approved for this, is Dead Silence by S.A. Barnes. It's a NetGalley arc. It's a book that I've mentioned as like one of the ones I'm excited for this year that's coming out. It comes out on February 8th, but literally I think one or two days after we recorded. So well before the last podcast went out, I got approved for this on NetGalley, and I instantly was like, you can fit in here. So... This one is an adult sci-fi slash horror novel and is basically pitched as the Titanic meets the Shining in which a woman and her crew board a decades lost luxury cruiser and find the wreckage of a nightmare that hasn't yet ended. That, as I've told you multiple times, because you've told me this a couple times, sounds freaking amazing. Yeah. So like, I'm so excited to read this. I didn't think I would get approved for this. I just was like, I've pre-ordered it. Let's see if I can read it early. And I freaking can. Yeah. So that's very exciting. Absolutely. No disagreement. I think that's going to be great for you. But speaking about what I've been reading or, you know, finished reading finally. Honestly, like I felt like last week I probably could have pushed through more of Cytonic just because... A, I got to a really good start before finishing up this last third. Mm-hmm. When I was reading the second third, and I'm like, maybe I could just push through and finish. But then I very quickly realized that was not a reality because my work schedule is hectic and insane. Yes. Yeah. Overall, what do you think of Cytonic as a novel? I actually really liked it. And I know that's an uncommon like stance, but it was good. It covered a lot of the things that I wanted to cover and explained... The things that I was afraid it wasn't going to explain, which, like, we'll get to that, uh, because it happened pretty much at the very end. Do you mean the Delvers? It explains the Delvers? Or it explains, like, how everything got set up in the nowhere? D, all of the above. Okay. Like, you start to understand why everything exists the way it exists. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that was important to me because like, it's like, what are these things and how did they come to be? Like, obviously I get it. There's all these alien races. So maybe it was just another alien race is the way I originally took it. But when it came to like really getting the answers, this book did that. Yeah. And obviously I'm excited for the last book, which comes out this year at some point, right? No, 2023. He has books and other series coming out in 2022. Monster. But you also need to read Evershore next. Um, which is what novella. I'm doing this week. So, you know, it won't be like that'll have to take very long, which is the sad part, depending on how Evershore ends, obviously, and what information you can get from it. Where you left off last week was a cliffhanger, and it ended with Spencer and Peg's crew just hanging out, eating, telling each other stories. And then all of a sudden, the alarms are going off. Because something is happening. Right. And then next week on Cytonic. It definitely got interesting very fast, obviously, because like they're trying to stay alive at this point because you have two fragments coming at each other hot. Yep. Like two large fragments, not small ones. So basically, like you instantly thrown into the rush of like crazy that's going on. And we see Mbot and Spenso work together to avoid the collision, and it's a lot of more impressive flying from Spinza, and everyone is shocked. Yeah, but honestly, what else is new? That's kind of her thing at this point. And this sort of leads Spinza and Peg to make the decision that they're going to move on shore, Shorehold? Is that what it is? They're going to move on to attacking Shorehold quickly. Yes. Yeah. The next day. They just have to have the time to basically... Put the ships back together. Right. Like the battle scene was pretty intense as well. Obviously, you find out that Vlep has joined the other side and in turn joined the superiority to fight against all the other pirates, which was pretty screwed up. Yeah. Like, it's like you you did that to spite Peg and it's just like, it's going to backfire. You know it is because the good guys always win. At least in fiction. Yeah. But uh, you see a battle scene again between Hesho and... Um, Spencer, God, I don't know why that drew such a brain fart for me. They finally connect because they start to realize that, like, there's a reason the two of them know each other, and it's, like, the connection starts to occur. Yeah. And at a certain point, like, Hesho's like, I'm clearly in the wrong place. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm fighting you. And during that time, like, you have the Delvers throwing whole cities, like, abandoned cities, thank goodness, into, like, this firefight area, and they're just randomly materializing in the nowhere. Yeah. And it's just super intense. And Spinza has to avoid these giant flying cities. Right. In order to continue the attack on Shorehold. Right. But also, before the firefight, there is a conversation that there is a reality icon being held in Shorehold. And that they want control of that, so they want to wrest that away from the people who are currently from the superiority. Yeah, apparently it looks like a child's toy, is what she's told. Teddy bear. Yeah, yeah. But they also have conversations about what icons are and why they produce these reality ashes, and no one really knows. But they also have discussions about whether their memories return after they leave, what happens with the memories if they have to stay here, but they have a reality icon and that sort of thing. It's a lot. Yeah. And of course, we're getting more of Imbot's sassiness and ability to try to 
feel emotions and be more than an AI and try to figure out sort of his place in the world. Right. But I think it's just funny that he talks about being nauseated and things. I definitely enjoy as much Mbot sass as I can possibly get. Yes. Sassy AI is the best AI. I feel like if you were the one that had the sassy AI, you'd disagree, but... Here's the thing about fiction that a lot of people forget. You can enjoy things in fiction that you would not enjoy in real life, such as murder and other things, but also sassy AI who would just be a pain in your butt. In real life, absolutely. I know that that's your stance as well. Like, if that was your AI, you'd be like, man, this is annoying as hell. Yeah. And apparently at one point he curses well, and she's like, good job. Yeah. You use that right. The infamous scud profanity that exists. I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, during that whole firefight that the Delvers tell Spencer that if she goes no further than Surehold, then... They'll make they'll, peace. So. They'll not do anything against her in the nowhere or her friends and family in the somewhere, and they'll leave both locations alone. Yeah, and they'll on top of that, they'll ignore instructions from... Uh, Winsick. Winsick, yeah. Which is kind of important because, like, that that's one of her biggest fears, and so that creates a pretty big internal strife right. inside of Spencer. Like, if the world can keep peace, then, like, why do I need to continue going further with these things? Also, when she's discussing this with Chet, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the right decision is here. He says to her, well, another option is that you don't have to go into the nowhere. You don't have to try to figure everything out and get back home and keep your friends and family safe. You could stay here on the outer edges of the nowhere with me, exploring the different fragments and the different worlds. Right. And that sort of thing. And in turn, your family and friends would still be safe. So it's like not a bad second option on the table is the way he's kind of pitching it. Like you become family with us. You might as well just stay here type of a situation. And like, it's been great to see her explore these different fragments and these different worlds and, Being able to be, like, the little kid again, having fun exploring, playing in the dirt and stuff like that. But at the same time, like, you can't just ignore what's happening around you. Everything else. And, like, even Peg makes a little bit of a pitch to just try to keep her there. I don't know. It it seems like everybody's kind of trying to not have her finish this challenge. The Path of Elders. Right. Yeah. That she's up against because it's kind of, A, it's important for her and it's important for her family and friends. In both options. Peg also in her trying to like keep Spencer when Spencer says that she wants to continue on maybe. Peg tries to explain that it's hard to fly that far from Surehold into the center of the nowhere. And that when you hit enormous gaps between fragments it starts to eat up your reality ashes and you start losing yourself more so than you already have. But she basically felt like she needed time to think it over and went into one of the officer suites that is on Surehold to sort of take time, get some sleep, maybe relax a little for once in her life. Yeah. And while she's sleeping, there's someone trying to talk to her, but she really can't talk to them back. And Jorgen is saying that he can feel her she can't really feel him and that he thinks she's feeling distance and he wants to talk to her because things are pretty rough at home which you'll find out in ever sure i hope so because like at the end of this book you get back 
to Jorgen, and like it seems like the world's turned upside down. Yeah. So I'm ready for that. <laughs> Some clarification is necessary. Yes. But they really don't communicate, and they really don't have a conversation at this point. She just ends up waking up. Right. And at that point, she realizes that her mind is kind of made to what she wants to do at that point. But then she's talking to Imbot about the decision that she's made, and Imbot's like, if we leave this place, what happens to me? Because in this new body that he's in, outside of the nowhere, his processing is Gonna be so dinosaur slow. slow, yeah. And when he made it into the nowhere, he started processing at normal speeds, despite his basically container not having the same processing power as the ship he was in. Right. But he also says that he's willing to go back anyway. Well, yeah, because he's, like, attached to Spencer at this point. Like, the two of them, I don't want to say, like, brother-sister, but it's like that. You know, like, they're family. So it'd be really weird for one to go on without the other, I guess, is the way I look at it. Well, but he was part of making that decision. Right. Like, he's saying, if it helps at all... I would be willing to go back, so. Right. Definitely aids in the decision-making process for Spencer. While she's in Sherhold, she manages to talk to something or someone cytonically and isn't really sure how that's happening and goes towards the sound. And when she does that, she ends up finding her pin in a small, worn, stuffed animal. And she's confused about how they both had gotten to where she found them. And the pin said to her, we hid when the fighting started. Some of the people who were here would have stolen us. So that's why we were hiding. And she's talking to her pin saying that it felt so good to hold it. And thank you. Thank you for your help. And in response, she heard a distinctive and happy fluting sound from her pin. And immediately I went, what? I was like, it's Doomslug. Like that was my instant reaction. That is also her instant reaction. Yeah. Like, I missed you. And she's like, I sent you home. And Doomslug said, you are home. Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. My heart. (laughs) And apparently the reality icons are actually these slugs that have used their cytonic abilities to basically hide in plain sight. And so Spence is like, well, then what are the ashes then? Like, what are these things that everyone's been using to help with their memory? And Doomslug's like, poop. That's what you got. Enjoy your poop ashes. Nothing like slug poop. They're like sprinkling it on themselves too, which is the best part about it. It's not quite actually poop, but like that's the way that Doomslug thinks of it. Yeah, it's waste, basically. Oh, this is also the moment when Spencer finds out that there are multiple kinds of slugs. Because she was thinking that all the slugs could disguise themselves. And it's only the yellow and blue ones. And she's like, there are other kinds? And Doom Slug's like, tons! Yeah. But of course, we as readers already knew that from reading the two novellas that came before. But she didn't know that yet. Right. Yeah. But she takes her decision to Peg that she's going to leave, and Peg gives her a gift. Of a fruit. Yes. She's like, was I supposed to eat it? And she's like, no. She's supposed to plant it and bond with it. It's interesting. How do you bond with something that's under the ground in the dirt? You lay on top of it and water it? Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I am bad at gardening. You would not want to do that for me. 
I would say I have a black thumb instead of a green thumb, but, you know, that's rude to the people who are actually black thumbs. Mine's even worse. (laughs) And when she goes out to her ship and talks to Chet, Chet decides to go with her closer into the nowhere. Is this also when she's looking at the memory from Jason Wright? Yep. She ends up doing that on Sherhold and then realizes that she needs to leave and then go to the final stop, basically. Well, like, the final memory before the trying to leave the nowhere. Yeah. And in that vision, a human steps through the portal wearing a civilian suit. And something came in along with him from the portal, this sphere thing. That Chet kind of recognizes as an AI, but, like, doesn't really give away too much information. And we see Jason Wright, who is trying to get the AI to be more than it is, to do more than just what it's programmed for, and saying, don't simulate B. It's possible. They said it was possible. Yeah, it's definitely trying to make the AI more self-sufficient because obviously in the nowhere it has more processing capability, and I think that's really the reason, like, He's trying to make it a better AI and then bring it back to the normal world, so. Started talking to Chet about what it takes for the AI to grow and develop beyond AI and talking about how, I believe it's at this point, the Delvers came from AI and discussing how the AI grew and developed into the Delvers eventually once they got past a certain point. Yeah, I think we get that at the next Stop, but I might be wrong. We might be at the next stop based on the page count that you're at right now. I'm not sure. Well, at this point, she's talking to Chet and saying that he's a Delver and specifically the one that she changed. Yeah. And talking about how he sort of manipulated circumstances or it manipulated circumstances in order to get her trust and go with her and Imbot on this sort of adventure yeah that they were on right and he explains that the path of elders is real memories from real cytonics and that he knew that she needed them and that he needed them and how the delvers had forgotten these memories on purpose so they could keep doing what they were doing but sort of the explanation i gave about ai becoming delvers is sort of wrong Because the way that Chet explains it is that a Delver is to an AI as you are to an ape or maybe an amoeba. So, like, you came from the same beginnings, but you were very different things in the end. Right. There's a lot of growth and changes that they went through that make them completely different from just a basic AI, per se. And Chet also explained how Cytonic's abilities are the things that bring a slice of the nowhere with them into the somewhere and somewhere into the nowhere. And the last stop that she needs to go to, Chet calls the solitary shadow, and it's basically his memories, all the things that the Delvers have forgotten on purpose. But the Delvers aren't going to want her to go there, just like they haven't wanted her to go anywhere at this point, but especially not there. We also learned that the Delvers were never really going to keep peace with Spencer and that they were always going to break the truce and they were planning an, an attack on Surehold right then and there. And so that's when she immediately gets on her jet plane, whatever you want to call it. 
to go into the center of the nowhere and confront the Delvers. They decided to try to present the Delvers with decisions because that is the kind of thing that will break them from being like this group think, this group mind, where they always make the same choices because they're the exact same beings and all of that to try to help defeat them. Yeah, the idea is to basically come up with like a conversation point that will make them all choose different answers. So that will weaken them, basically. And we start to see all of the memories at the last location, and we see that Chet, or the Delver, was the first AI to come through with the first human to ever come through into the nowhere, and how he was a kind of gatekeeper in order to protect the galaxy. Right. Kind of makes sense now why the Delvers as a whole don't like AI. Yeah. Because they were at one point that, and they don't want to lose their power to somebody like that. So that's one of the steps that you kind of really start to click on all cylinders around this scene. As well, too, you notice the reason why they're so destructive and angry. It's because, like, they're more or less abandoned. Right. And then you find out that the creator ends up dying. His whole experiment with his AI that he had brought in was because his wife had died. And he was trying to make the AI basically be her. Yeah. But the AI was lifeless and not at all like his wife that he lost. But then on top of that, the AI actually had to experience loss itself because Jason Wright died. And then basically the AI had to train itself to not feel like that heartbreak and that pain from that. And that's... What makes it so dark and evil. Right. Yeah. Destructive. All the other words that would be good descriptors for not a good thing. And then we see Spencer and her crew of AI, Chet, Hesho. Everyone's trying to figure out how to get past all of these Delvers that are coming at her. They come up with some creative ways, but I don't know that we want to spoil the ending completely. So, like, we kind of already brought you to the end. But this time, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, it's been a long time, Imbot. Mm-hmm. sort of sacrifices himself in order to protect and save Spencer so that she can go home. That's it's one of the reasons. It, it's more of like he even goes on to say, like, you left me behind for the greater good, and now I need to make the ultimate sacrifice right. for the greater good. And, like, obviously it's 100% for Spencer, but, like, the reality is as well, he's thinking about everybody else and not himself for once, and I thought it was, like, a huge growth moment for Mbot. Like, yeah. Like, he's grown a lot in this book as an AI person, like, with personality. Well, and that's the ultimate question of AI in science fiction is, like, is this a person? What makes a person a person? And so in this Imbot definitely veers closer to being human right? in making that decision. Right. And even mentions, like, well, if I'm afraid and I still do it, that makes me courageous, right? Exactly. And that sort of thing. And Spencer ends up making it back to Platform Prime. And takes a very kind, faint nap. Yes. Right in Jorgen's arms. Yes. And discovers that it's been six weeks since she left. The second time. And a lot of things have changed while she's been gone. Not all of them have been thoroughly explained at the end of this novel, which was sort of frustrating for me. It's called a cliffhanger. He has to make you wait till 2023 for it. 
but the two things that weren't answered in this one that you have to start to read Evershore for are, one, their planet was orbiting a different planet, so something happened. Mm-hmm. And then also, why was Jorgen the one in the Admiral's uniform? Correct. What happened to Cobb? I'm ready for Evershore to get those answers. You don't quite get the full answer. Well, that's a bunch of baloney and I am upset. I mean, I think technically you get the answers for both of those, but the timeline doesn't like sync up all the way. There's still stuff you find out at the end of Cytonic that you don't quite get to timeline-wise in Evershore. Got it. Which is frustrating. I'm personally ready to read Evershore. Um, I might take a nap today too because, you know, exhaustion is a thing. Uh, And so take care of yourself. It's kind of important. Yeah. But it's also next week going to be our last episodes of season three. And we're going to start season four a couple weeks after that. That sounds exciting. You can have very many naps at that point. It's going to be fantastic. It's not true. I have to get the YouTube channel started. So (laughs) I will be doing less hectic things i guess i don't know we'll see how hectic the other things are but right but we're also gonna have all of our links to our social media down in the show notes and make sure you remember to rate review and subscribe like all the other podcasters tell you to and we'll see you next week i guess for the final week of episodes for the season talk to you then guys bye bye i went with every hearted doorway by shauna mcguire Ooh, a voice crack. I'll try that again. Another. Oh, God. Ooh. Hmm. <laughs> Gotta love colds. Adjust, adjust, adjust. Yes. Imbat. Imbot. Imbot.